Before I get started, I have spoken to a few of you this morning. And uh, I want to tell you it's been a privilege to be here. And that Sim had some confidence, I guess that's what you would call it, to allow me to fill in for him. And it's been a real blessing. The reason I say it's a blessing is because whether you realize it or not, someone like Sim and preparing a message is that as God works us through that process of putting a message together, we learn things that we wouldn't otherwise. And I've mentioned to some of you this morning that I truly believe, and I do truly believe, that as God puts in our hearts a hunger for him and to know Christ, that we're going to want more and more. And that puts somebody like Sim and I in quite a position because it means that we have to spend more time in the presence of God. And he will supply us with what everyone needs. But it first of all has to be worked through us. And I have mentioned through the time to some There are times when God may give a message that's a little bit beyond where I'm at. And if that happens, either he's going to put me through something prior to giving that message so that I am able to at least reach partly to the height of that. Or if not, after giving the message, God will put us through something that will make it real in our hearts. It's an awesome responsibility that we have in these last days. And I know that Sim would agree to be able to give any kind of leadership because the days are getting more evil from week to week. And we need to be well grounded and have a good foundation on which we will then be able to know what to do during these days. And not only that, to cultivate that need within us to hear from God and to know when God speaks. We'll open in prayer. Father, because you are living within us and Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, you are here present with us this morning. But I pray, Father, that you would make this real to us as well. That we will know that we have been together in your presence. The reality will be such that it will change our lives. You will equip us for what we may have to face this week. But what a blessed privilege we have to gather together like we are right now with peace And we don't underestimate that because times could change very rapidly. But Father, right now you have blessed us with being able to gather together to hear your word once again. And your heart for mankind that is not saved, you're not willing that any should perish. And the Lord is not delaying his coming because he's not willing that any should perish. I ask that you would place that on our hearts 
every one of our hearts today that we will have a heart like yours for those that are unsaved. Changes we pray today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you a little background to the message this morning on reconciliation. <clears throat> back in uh, the early part of 2019, maybe even back in the fall of 2018, I began to write what I thought was going to be my spiritual journey that at best my children might get to read it after I'm gone. And I was spending every morning, and I mean every morning, four or five hours writing it. And I began with a conversation. It was a personal conversation between me and God, which led me through the Old Testament. And I would ask God questions. And this is how I wrote, and God would answer me through his dealings with people and with his people Israel throughout the Old Testament. Things that I didn't understand when I was young and I put them down as a question to God. And I'm looking for answers and I wrote down the answers. Then I progressed to the point where I was having a personal conversation with Jesus. Because it's different talking to him. He knows what it's like to be in flesh and blood like we are. He's able to sympathize with us in all that we're going through. And I had a personal conversation with Jesus and I'm writing it down. And then the scene changes again when the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit then begins to communicate things that Jesus didn't. And we learn so much about the Christian life as we go through the Acts and through the epistles. I had reached a point in my writing where it seemed to be the appropriate time to write down something about Christian doctrine of which I had written numerous pages. So at this point I thought, I'm just going to do a cursory overview. What is redemption? What is justification? What's sanctification, etc.? And as I began to do that in an abbreviated form, the Holy Spirit brought to my attention this subject on reconciliation. And I thought, I've never studied that before. I wonder why I've never studied it before. So I looked up all the references to reconciliation. I began to study on my own as my habit is before I ever turned to any kind of books. And as I read some of these scriptures which we're going to end with today, I thought, this is too good to be true. I must be wrong. But you know, that's what Christianity's like. It's too good to be true. So, if you don't get it this morning, and if you question what I'm saying, I don't blame you, because I was there. But this subject of reconciliation, as I began to study it and wondering... What has been written about it? I've got a theology book that's that thick. That's going through all Christian doctrines and etc. So I looked up the subject of reconciliation and they devoted less than a page to the subject of reconciliation. I thought, this is amazing. And in fact, what they wrote about 
and very briefly, was being reconciled with one another. And if I've heard any messages throughout my lifetime on reconciliation, it's the need for us to be reconciled with one another when an offense has taken place. And we need to be reconciled to one another. And as I began to study it, I began to notice that it was obvious what was missing were the references to the fact that we need to be reconciled to God. As I did, I was absolutely astounded. I have a series of commentaries, well, not at that time, I didn't, uh, in my computer, I would say there's probably 20, 30 commentaries that I could refer to and just do a search with a search engine. But in those days, other things that I used to do a search, and even from 100 and 200 years ago, those that, that gave messages, for instance, Spurgeon or D.L. Moody, and gave a message on reconciliation, it was always horizontal. It had nothing to do with what was vertical. I thought, this is astounding. How come this has been missed? So that's the little background to where we are today. The beginning of this message, I'm going to just show you verses in which reconciliation is referred to, that God himself is reconciling. So the first set of verses, I'm not going to do much in the way of commentary on it because I want to focus in on the last couple. So here we are. So what is reconciliation? It is the reuniting of opposing parties after being separated from each other by an offense. So we all know what that is like. There are people in my life that I have wanted to be reconciled with that I can't. There's no reception on the other end. When it comes to ourselves as individuals, there's usually something has transpired on both sides of this equation. We both bear a certain amount of fault. But what we're going to find out here this morning is that when God reconciles the world to himself, it's not that God needs to be reconciled to us. God did nothing to offend us. But rather, we need to be reconciled to God. So there's questions we need to ask. I want to begin with reading from the message. Is that Eugene Peterson? From the message, which I don't often read, but I, I thought, let's, let's just put in everyday language. Just to give us a little idea of what the heart of God is like. John three sixteen through 18. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone, not a certain select few, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point out an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? 
because of that person's failure to believe in the one of a kind son of God when introduced to him. That is the heart of God in the gospel message. And so many times, even for the preacher, it seems too good to be true. That God himself has so much love for sinners that he would give his one and only son. Not only that, but God himself was manifest in flesh. I can't begin to explain that one. God himself came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loved us so much. Sin had come in and brought about a distance between mankind and himself. So just as an overview, what is it that God has reconciled? Everything. Let that sink in. Everything. God has reconciled everything to himself. It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by Jesus. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God came to reconcile things on the earth. That one is easy enough to understand. God, in his love, has come out to us, and he's wanting mankind to be reconciled to himself. Those are the things on the earth. The next part, I don't have an answer for. What in heaven did he need to reconcile? Can the wicked angels be reconciled to God? If so, then Satan's reconciled to God? Certainly, it couldn't be that. But there's something. The work of Christ on Calvary has not only reconciled us to God in the here and now, in the church age, but also the foundation on which everything will be reconciled to him in heaven and on earth. That's the extent of the work of Christ on Calvary. Truly amazing. But he did this by making peace through the blood of his cross. So when we're talking about reconciliation, God first of all needed to redeem us back to himself. We were sold under sin. We were slaves of sin. And he went to the slave market and he purchased us back. We have to become part of his property before we can actually be reconciled to him. So there is an order in it. The blood of Christ was what was shed first in order that we might be redeemed back to God. But once redeemed, God wants to be reconciled together with us. God reconciled Jew and Gentile. We may not have realized that Jew and Gentile were separated from each other. Something had brought about a division, an offense had transpired. Therefore, we could not get along with each other, Jew and Gentile. And here's what Paul writes. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called 
uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you Gentiles, were far away from God. But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one body. And, the, and his own body... He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Were you aware that there's a wall between Jew and Gentile? If you've read it, have you ever asked the question, what was the wall? This is what we need to do with Scripture. We can take that and we can ask God questions you're saying that there was a wall between Jew and Gentile. Well, then God, what was the wall? Show me what the wall was. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. What's your conclusion? The only conclusion you can come to is that the law then was what was separating us. And here's what happened. The Jew was taking pride in the fact that they had the commandments and the ordinances of God and all the promises of God. You poor Gentiles. You're out of the picture. And they prided themselves in it. And that brought about a separation between Jew and Gentile. Satan is still trying to do the same thing today. Trying to bring a separation. You don't adhere to all these things. You talk about grace. No, you have to do these things. This is a dividing point. This is a wall that comes up between us. Jesus came to remove that. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. This goes back to what I was mentioning when we were going over some of the chapters in Romans. Is that we're all guilty. If the Jew was living by the law and the Gentile had no law but they were affected by their conscience. Both groups, whether you're living under law or not under law, are both guilty of sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the good news is that those of us that were far, he's brought near. Those that were near, he's brought us together in Christ. It's impossible without Jesus Christ.
to bring together such groups. The question is going to be asked, when and how was mankind reconciled to God? If both groups, Jew and Gentile, required reconciliation to God, when did he do it? Romans 5 says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Did you hear that? When while we were enemies, not once we cleaned up our act, the work of reconciliation God did on Calvary when we were all his enemies. That's the heart of God. Did you know that that's the heart of God for you? The heart of God for me? When we were his enemies, he reconciled us to himself through Christ and through his death. It is much more certain. Those of us that have believed, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin by his life. That is, we'll be saved because Christ lives today. I've thought of this this last week. And I don't know why it is, even although I've been on the Christian path all these years, that somehow the reality of the fact that Jesus is still alive doesn't seem to sink in. We begin to live our lives as if, well, he's away up there somewhere and it's, got, it's not relative to my life. When in fact he's come to live inside of me and he's very much alive and it's through his life that I live. If not, I'm living in death and under sin. I have not come to Christ to receive salvation. It's much more certain having been reconciled, that we'll be saved from the consequences of sin by his life. That is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation with God. Question that needs to be answered then. What was the offense that brought about a separation from ourselves and God? And if we answer that question, what did God do in order to bring about reconciliation? Very simple. Everybody here has the answer. So what was the offense preventing us from being reconciled to God? Sin is an offense to God's holiness which resulted in us being separated from him. It's as simple as that. That brought about the separation. For reconciliation to happen, this is what needs to be attended to. This was what was the offense. But we're totally incapable of removing it. We cannot. It's going to have to have God move on our behalf in order to deal with this whole problem of sin.
Is the law the answer? No. A few weeks ago, we looked at this. One of the things the law does is just increases sin. When the law says, you shall not, we want to. God was the one who had been offended, not mankind. Therefore, we need to be reconciled to God, not God to us. Now the question arises, why are we reconciled to God through the death of Christ and not his blood? This was interesting when I began to look at it. Everything else that we have in the Christian life that God has given us has been secured through the shed blood of Christ. We've been redeemed, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, all of those things that are Christian doctrine. We're all based on the blood of Christ. Sin's been removed. God then is granting us all of these blessings the moment we come to salvation in Christ. Why then does it take the death of Christ in order that we might be reconciled to God and not his blood? The blood of Jesus redeems us from our sins. We're all aware of that. His death restores our relationship with God. We are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Go on to the next slide. Sin and law have no power over dead person. And this is what we talked about when we were looking at Romans 6 and Romans 7. When a person dies physically... We're totally removed from any temptation to sin or we're removed from any demands of any law. Our death with Christ removed both of those things. Sin and the law having any dominion over us. But that's only dependent on the fact that first of all, Jesus himself went into death. And through his death, is the way in which we have been redeemed through his blood and we have received reconciliation through his death. Sin and law have no power over a dead person. We need to get that in our minds. Our problem is that we begin to project this into our life and we see that that doesn't seem to line up. I seem to continue to sin. I'm still tempted to sin. We need to go back to what God says and live our lives based on what God says. You have died to sin. You have died to the law when you died with Christ. Therefore, when Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross, he removed the offense, which was sin, and the condemnation of the law, thereby reconciling us to God. Through his death, dealt with sin and the law, that's why Romans 6 and Romans 7 is essential for us to get into our minds. Because it was through the removal of the dominion of sin and having to adhere to a law and no longer under, without receiving grace that Jesus has gone into death to set that aside. Totally. That's good news. That is the life of the believer. That's where we should be living our lives. But we have a choice to make. 
whether to be reconciled to God or not. When we lay aside our hostility towards God, abandon our sins, and receive his mercy, we become reconciled to God. In other words, simply when we come and we admit to God that we're sinners and we ask for his forgiveness, God grants it to us. And at that point in time, we're reconciled to God. We have a responsibility. We must respond to God's offer of salvation. When we do, God then immediately we are reconciled with God. The distance has been removed. It already was removed over 2,000 years ago. But maybe we haven't actually experienced that in our lives. This is what got my attention, 2019. Reconciliation and the gospel message. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And we've already gone over that in previous messages. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. And we need to get that into our minds that the old is past. We don't need to carry it forward with us. God gave his son so that that might be removed, so that we might have life in Christ. Old things, the previous and moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. But in all these things, but all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to Christ. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceled them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we as Christ's representatives plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Here's the King James on this verse. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Those of you that are used to the King James, you'll remember the word impute. When we come to salvation and believe in Jesus Christ, God declares us or imputes righteousness to our accounts, just as it was the case with Abraham. Abraham believed God, it was imputed to him as righteousness. In other words, righteousness was placed into his bank account. Now we're bumping up against the same word in a different context. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Let that sink in. What's God saying? He's not charging mankind with their sins. It's plain. It is plain. This is the gospel message. God is not imputing mankind with their sins. I go back to when I was young. And my one grandfather, and I've mentioned this before, bears repeating. He instilled in me. You've got to be careful, Dave, what you do. Because God's watching all the time, and if you step out of line, God's going to be against you. That's bad theology. That's not the heart of God. And that took me years, I mean literally years, to get over. That is not the heart of God. Nor is it the heart of God for the unbeliever today. He's not charging mankind with their sins. Too good to be true. Why is God not counting mankind's sins against them? Does this mean then that everyone is reconciled to God? Does this mean everyone's sins are forgiven? No. Not at all. God cannot charge mankind with their sins. Because Jesus paid for them. This, beloved, was a legal document. The plan of salvation that began before the foundation of the world is now being put into place with the appearance of Jesus Christ here on the earth and Calvary. And he came to pay the price. A legal document has been signed between the Father and the Son to say that God is satisfied with the blood of Jesus Christ as the price of our redemption. In a court of law, Jesus then steps in and pays the price on my behalf. The court can't come to me and say, Dave, you still owe us a million dollars. It's already been paid. This is God's attitude towards mankind. It has been paid in full, totally paid in full. He can't charge mankind with their sins. Does that mean that mankind's off the hook? Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that atoned for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. However, to receive forgiveness, we must confess to God that we're a sinner in need of it. So what happens to a person who never repents of their sins? God's not charging mankind with their sins. That is factual. But we know that there are many, and we have many of us have family members that are there that have not actually spoken to God about their sins and confessed to God they're a sinner in need of salvation. 
They are still in their sins. What happens if they live their whole lifetime and they never repent of their sins? Jesus has the answer. Jesus said, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What happens now in the big picture then? The big picture is that we have good news. And that is that God gives everyone a lifetime to believe. He's not charging them with their sins, but he's doing everything possible to woo them to himself, to make them realize that they're sinners in need of salvation. And he gives us a lifetime. But the clincher is, how long is your lifetime? Our lifetimes have a limit to them. Some are short. Some are longer. No matter what. God is giving mankind their lifetime to come to him. And he speaks through messages like this. You turn on the radio. Somebody in the street talks to you about salvation. A relative speaks to you. God is constantly at work in the world bringing people to himself giving them the opportunity, every opportunity. And he's long patient a whole lifetime. And you could be 80 years old, never turn to the Lord, and at the last moment, you realize, and you say, I need to give my heart to Christ. And he's given you a whole lifetime. That is the heart of God. It is too good to be true. But here's the thing. We all now are God's ambassadors in this world. It's as if God through us is pleading with mankind, be reconciled to God because they're not reconciled until they come to receive Jesus as Savior. But God is not charging their sins against them, but he's giving them every opportunity to. And now he has given each and every one of us in this room that are believers a job to do. We are ambassadors. And we're going out into the world pleading with mankind, be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. Is this the gospel for our day? Are people not realizing that he's not charging them with their sins? If they feel condemned by sin, I'll tell you what, when my grandfather did that to me and I knew I had done wrong, the last place I was going to go was to God. But if mankind realizes that God is not charging them with their sins and he's doing everything to bring them into the fold and to have the salvation of their sins, I believe people will respond. Now, this does not leave any of us off the hook. You don't have to have any of the gifts that Paul lists to be used as an ambassador. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to have any of those gifts. This is something that God has given us and the only thing that's given us in the scriptures as he says, this is your ministry. Go out and tell the world, be reconciled to God. God's given everybody a chance and he wants to use each one of us regardless of any kind of spiritual gift. 
we all have a responsibility to represent Jesus Christ in the world as his ambassadors. What a privilege we have. It is unbelievable. So don't say that you're not qualified. We're all qualified. All of us are qualified. And that's what God would have us be occupied with in ministry until Jesus comes.